You are listening to Shareworthy, the influencer and content marketing podcast brought to you by Isaiah, the industry's leader in developing technology that helps marketers and creators connect. Hey everybody, Katie here. Welcome to Shareworthy, Isaiah's influencer and content marketing podcast. Show notes can be found at izea.com and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow Isaiah on Twitter at I-Z-E-A, and Facebook at facebook.com slash Inc. All links are in the show notes. I'm here with Duncan Wardle, a 30-year veteran of the Walt Disney Company, who's now an independent innovation and creativity consultant. How are you doing, Duncan? All right. Thank you for coming on. Um, so, Duncan, you were at IzeaFest and gave a presentation on thinking differently. Could you tell us a little bit about what you presented on? Yeah, it's great fun. Um, it took about two and a half years to build. It's a it's a uh, an innovation design thinking toolkit that anybody can use. That's what we did. We worked with IDEO and what it to take um, the design thinking process, but just make it easy for other people to use. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what it is. So, how does one think differently? Think differently. Drink more for a start. No, just, I'm just being kidding. What I said at the at the presentation was it's about uh, firstly the creative behaviours, being more playful. Because when you ask people, where are you and what are you doing when you get your best ideas, people say shower, walking the dog, drinking, running, jogging, commuting, falling asleep. Nobody ever says, at work. You're like, ooh, but I'm supposed to have big ideas at work. And then you ask people to close their eyes and picture uh, the last verbal argument you were in. And people close their eyes and they, they picture that verbal argument and then you ask them to open their eyes. You say, and about five minutes after that argument, when you stormed out of the building, you went down the street, you went into Starbucks, you sat down on the couch, you had your cappuccino, or just popped into your head and you know, the killer one-liner that you wished you'd use you in the argument. You see people laugh because everybody's guilty of it. And you ask, have you ever come up with a killer one-liner during the argument? No, you haven't, because your brain is in what we call busy beta. It's defending itself. It's the same as it is in the office. You're answering emails, you're building presentations, you're going to a meeting and you hear yourself say, I don't have time to think. And just as you can't come up with that killer one-liner during the argument because your brain is in busy beta, you can't come up with good ideas when you're stressed in the office. Very interesting. Be more playful. Be more playful. More playful. People take themselves far too seriously. Ah, this advice everyone can take. Well, yeah. So eighty-seven percent of your brain is subconscious. Only thirteen percent is conscious. So that's what you've got to work with during the day. That's how we get from home to work. That's how we get through our workday. But the eighty-seven percent is—it's all that stimulus. Every license plate you've ever read. Every person you've ever kissed. Even the ones you'd rather forget. Every restaurant you've ever eaten in. Every textile—it's all back there as a stimulus to make connections. But if the door between your conscious and subconscious is closed because it's stressed, mm-hmm. then you're not coming up with any new ideas. So how can people open that door? How can we think big? How do we have big so ideas? So partially, it's, you've got to get playful first. So mm-hmm. we do things called energizers. Just get people in fun, in a fun mood. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you can do is do that. If you're in an office environment, if you've ever noticed, actually during the energizers that I ran at Isaiah Fest, I played music. Why? What's the energy level in the room? What's the energy level in your office when there's music on and when there isn't music on? There's a significant difference in the energy level of the room. Absolutely. Say you have an idea and you're not sure if it's a big idea, it's a great idea, it's just an idea. How do you get it from that in your head to a great idea that everyone shares? So one of the things you can use is called greenhousing. And what you do is literally you put the idea on a sheet Mm -hmm. and you write down all the stakeholders that could either help or hinder that idea from getting done. Could be legal, could be operations, could be entertainment, could be local community, could be government, could be the sales team. And you start and you go around in that circle and then you start to ask yourself, how might I make this stronger from a legal perspective? How could I make it stronger from a sales perspective? 
How can I make it stronger from an operational perspective? Because if you don't do that, it's, it's, you've got a much better chance of getting it through towards the end. And then when you're trying to sell an idea in, one of the things that I think is really important is don't do a PowerPoint presentation. Number one, you'll bore the crap out of everybody in the room. Number two, they'll be asleep by the time you get to slide three. It's just true. Why do we do it? Because we did it last year. So what? Get over it. And so even if you have to make it PowerPoint, which I would advise you don't, draw it, by the way. It makes people more playful. Get, although, if you can't draw, get somebody who can draw. You'd be amazed. People really come alive in a visual presentation. But instead of sticking it at the front and standing at the front with a table between you and them, I would advise you to always make sure there's not a table between you and the other people. Why? Because if there's a table between you and them, you've just created Simon Cow, Randy Jackson, and Paul Rebdor. You've invited them to judge your presentation subconsciously. Mm -hmm. That's what they're going to do. But if you invite them to join you on a journey, rather than please come and evaluate my presentation, and you stick your journey up on the wall, it's essentially a presentation. You've just changed the dynamics of it. And what you do is if you walk with people around the room, the dynamics change from a presentation to a conversation, and that person will walk with you and build the idea along the way. By the time you get to the end, it's not my idea anymore, it's our idea. You want to get an idea through a big process and through an organization, it has to be ours, not mine, and that's just a, an easy way of doing it. That's, that's a very good point. Um, finding common ground and, and having buy-in from everyone on the team really makes it a, a team effort. Yeah. Um, so what are three things that stifle creativity when you're getting into that ideation? <laughs> Um, so the big five themes, I was, I was going to say something I shouldn't, so I didn't. Um, so uh, the big five themes of time, lack thereof. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of your colleagues just asked uh, for some help with a brainstorm. And I said, and we were just chatting, and she said, you've got an hour. I went, okay, that's a bit challenging. Time is the number one barrier to innovation. And you hear people in the office say, I don't have time to think. Mm -hmm. And people aren't given time to think. Well, how can you come up with great ideas? Because you're stuck in busy beta. That's the big one. Um, consumer insight is underused. A lot of people go, oh my God, I've got a great idea. I was guilty of it for years. And you went and you executed the idea. Did it move the needle on the business? Maybe, maybe not. Could you prove it? No. Was it because you, you did completely ignore what the consumer wanted? And so I think more organizations need to get out of their air-conditioned offices, get down into the living rooms of their consumers, actually get to know them, get to know how they live, why they live, what's important to them. And then when you have ideas, you'll have bigger ideas that actually move the business. That's number two. Um, a lot of companies are risk-averse they, because they have quarterly results to report. I'm a great believer in, in fact, my biggest challenge is can you report to Wall Street on quarterly results and be entrepreneurial and take risks? Because I haven't seen any big companies. If you look at all the companies that people consider are innovative, guess what? They don't report to Wall Street. What a surprise. I'd love to see a big company buy themselves back from Wall Street and actually get and have the courage to do that. Uh, and then think what they could do, because then they can please themselves. Ideas get stuck, diluted, or killed as they move through the organization. That's a huge one. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we developed this innovation toolkit that enabled people to actually take an idea, um, get stakeholders involved along the way, evolve the idea, actually rapid prototype it. Don't, nobody, anybody who waits to get it 100% right today is, is going to fail. Look at the Apple smartphone. What are we on, number seven? How many have you bought along the way? And if you had the iPhone 1, iPhone 3, iPhone 5, we've all done it, right? They're rapid prototyping people. They've never got it perfect and they don't care. They just launch the next one. Mm -hmm. and, so, and we all go out and buy it. We're suckers. Uh, but it's, it's, they aren't afraid to not be 100% right. So once you get it done, you can get feedback on how to improve it. Because yeah. if it never finishes, you never know if it was. Yeah, it's a great quote by Walt. He always said, uh, the best way to get something done is to begin. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you're in creative slump, what do you do to get unstuck? Go for a walk, listen to a different radio station, uh, get in the car, go drive somewhere. 
Uh, freshness is really important. If you ask people um, if they order that, we're all creatures of habit, right? If I asked you, do you order the same drink every time you go to Starbucks? Chances are you're going to say yes. If I asked you when you're commuting, when you go home, doesn't matter if you take public transport, if you're in a car, by the time you get home, you look at your front door, wherever you live, you sort of, there's been that point in time where you go, how the hell did I get here? Well, guess what? It hap what happened on the way home was your brain shut down. There's no fresh stimulus in, no new ideas out. And so it's important that you get freshness into your life. And there's deliberate freshness by commuting a different way, listening to a different radio station, reading a different magazine. Steve Jobs was a huge believer in unplanned collaboration. And he actually designed, another way of doing it is just by designing a physical environment. Actually, Isaiah has a fantastic environment of bringing people together. You've got a bar. I don't know if you serve alcohol. If you serve alcohol, we bring more people to the bar. Um, and they'll be more playful. But no, I'm being, I'm being a little facetious. But it's about bringing people together who wouldn't normally meet to have a conversation they didn't know they were going to have to spark new ideas. Absolutely. So, along those lines, what is the weirdest thing that has inspired one of your new ideas? Wow, okay, gosh. <laughs> um, what was it? Oh, so, uh, we were, it was um, Disneyland's 50th anniversary, mm -hmm. and um, we had had so much coverage during the year, the actual anniversary had passed, and uh, the media said, sort of, leave us alone, and I was like, hell no, I've got another six years, six months to go yet. And so I just asked people, what else do the American media have to cover even if they don't want to? And there's um, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And we were just chatting. I said, well, tell me about Thanksgiving. And this guy goes, he says, well, the president pardons a turkey. I said, I beg your pardon. He said, oh, yeah, the president of the United States of America stands on the lawn of the White House the Tuesday before the Thanksgiving and pardons a turkey. I said, so that's the only turkey that's pardoned from being killed, right? And he said, yeah. Well, Disneyland, is, it's brand position is the happiest place on earth. So I just burst out laughing. I said, well... Wouldn't that make him the happiest turkey on earth? And they all looked at me like, oh, don't you dare. And I said, oh, come on. So I called the White House and I said, hey, what happens to the turkey after you pardoned it? And they said, oh, it goes back to the National Turkey Federation. I was like, didn't know we had one. <laughs> so I called the president of the National Turkey Federation. I said, hi, I'm Duncan from Disney. Um, what happens to the turkey after you take it? Oh, we put it on a local petting zoo. I said, oh, can I have it? He goes, yeah. I said, oh, I thought we were going to haggle. I thought we were, but no, I was like, great, that's true. So then I found out more than you could ever possibly want to know about turkeys. I found out that well, turkeys, when grown to a certain size for a White House parting, have heart attacks and die like that. I was like, ah, great. You want coverage, I'll get you coverage. <laughs> the one turkey pardoned by the President of the United States of America is killed by a British PR guy as a stunt for Disney. So we decided it'd be a great idea to send Pilgrim Mickey and the parade music. It's one of those things that seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, up to the pen where the turkey lived uh, so that the, the turkey could become acclimatized to old Mickey. So that was barrier number one. We got Next one that. was with about, uh, then I said, uh, you have told the White House we're taking the turkey, right? They said, no. I said, you're going to have to tell them because we're going to do like we do with the MVP of the Super Bowl. You know, gobble, gobble, you've just been pardoned by the president. You know, what are you going to do? I'm going to Disneyland. So um, and we were going to whisk him away to Disneyland. And so they said, oh. I said, well, you have to tell them because if they think we're bastardizing in a big tradition, you know, I'm going to get fired. So I said, you've got to tell them. And they phoned back and they said, no, the president's in. And we said, yes. So then about three weeks to go, the chairman of Disney Parks calls me and says, um, you can't have the corporate jet. Because I, I was planning to fly the turkey, of course, as you do, on the corporate jet down to down to Disneyland from Washington D.C. And I said, "Well, why not?" And he said, uh, "I can't tell you. You just can't have a jet." I said, "Well, Jay, the, the president said yes. Without the corporate jet, I'll never get seats on the busiest travel day of the year to get the turkey over to Disneyland." What I found out the truth later on, which I wish he'd known, is this would have been his first request of our new CEO of the corporate jet, and you have to list the passenger manifest. So, dear Bob, need the corporate jet, turkey one, turkey. So I get it. So I found a friend of mine up at United Airlines, and we talked to him, um, and he introduced me to everybody who was flying in first class on that flight. 
and we gave them some rather nice vacations and we got first class for the turkeys. And then three days to go, bird flu hits the United States of America. Seriously. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we uh, made an agreement with United Airlines. They changed the flight number from United Airlines, whatever, 253, to Turkey 1. That was its official flight number from Washington, D.C. over to Los Angeles. And um, we put little postcards in everybody's seats saying, out of respect for our guests on the plane today, we'll be serving ham sandwiches, not turkey sandwiches. <laughs> um, we get into the briefing room and out comes the president. He goes, this year things are going to be a little different. This year the turkeys are going to Disneyland. I was like, oh God, the president just said He said, in fact, they're going to spend the rest of their days at Disneyland. I was like, did the president just say anchor? Not only that, they're going to be grand marshals from Disneyland's Thanksgiving Day break. I was like, I could retire. <laughs> the head of entertainment came across looking absolutely fuming. Dude, this is the best day of my life. What's up? And he said, uh, we don't have a Thanksgiving Day program. We've got two days to create one. It's going to cost a lot of money. I was like, well, Matt, I don't have any money. And the president said, we do. <laughs> so sure enough, two days later, Marshmallow and Yam came down Main Street, USA as Grand Marshmallow. Disneyland's Thanksgiving Day program. <laughs> That's an incredible story. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> oh, man. I can only imagine... Like sitting on the plane with the turkey. I was in economy, thank you. That's the <laughs> highlight of my career. The turkeys were in first class and I was in economy. So that sounds like some real magic that you made happen there. How can someone in their job, say they're a social media manager, mm -hmm. how can they make the same kind of magic happen for their business? I think people should have fun at work. Uh, somebody once said, and I don't know who, but I think it's the greatest, best quote, is if, if you love your job, you'll never work another day in your life. And I'm, I'm so tired of seeing people who are miserable in their jobs. You're like, leave, go and do what you want to do. You're going to have to do it for 50 years, and as we all live longer, you'll have to do it for longer than that, so you may as well enjoy it. First of all, find something you're truly passionate about. Because when you, you know, I had somebody that I was, was working for me, he was being performance managed out of the organization, blah, blah, blah. And I just asked him, I said, hey, what do you like to do? He goes, and he just lit up, he goes, oh, I love communities and online communities and social. I said, right, you're in charge of building a site for ideas to get people to submit ideas, and we're going to put some funding behind each of those ideas every quarter. The guy just took off like a rock star. So I think, first of all, you've got to find out what you're passionate about, because whatever you're passionate about, chances are you're pretty good at it as well. Um, the second, I think, is getting with a, a small group of people to help ideate it, help flush it out. Um, again, find people that are passionate about what you're passionate about. Although, when you're in an ideation session, you're trying to create some new ideas, I would always encourage you to bring in a naive expert. A naive expert who is somebody who doesn't know what you're working on. That's why you need them, because they're going to ask the provocative questions, the silly questions. They will get you out of what we call your river of thinking. They help you think differently. So um, I was designing uh, some architecture with some Imagineers, the architects, for a new complex at Hong Kong Disneyland, and uh, I brought in a chef. And everybody said, dude, what's the chef doing here? I was like, well, he's really creative. He has to be creative if the source ingredient doesn't show up, if somebody has an allergy, if the chef doesn't show up, he has to turn it on a dime. He makes it real every day. So everybody was cynical that he was there, and I gave them 15 seconds to draw a house, and they drew the same house that you would draw. It's going to be a square. It's going to have four windows on it, uh, two at the top, two at the bottom. You'll put a cross over them. You put a door at the front of the middle and a triangle. You call it a roof. Mm -hmm. If I gave you 15 seconds, I guarantee you that's what you'd give me. And, and I asked them to turn them around, and they all showed the same picture. I was like, dudes, you all stayed in your river of thinking. He, had, he drew dim sum architecture, which if you've never seen it before, <laughs> giant pork uh, steamed bum balls in a wicker basket. <laughs> I was like, dude, nicely done. <laughs> and so here's what he had done. He didn't solve the challenge for them. Your naive expert will never solve the challenge for you they'll push you out of your river of thinking, getting you to think differently. And so he gave them permission to consider audacious architecture. 
if any brand in the world can consider, they were door at the front, windows and a roof. That's what a building should look like. In fact, if you look around Winter Park Village, they're all fairly boring because they've done the same thing. But wow, what, what could architecture look like, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody stuck a post-it note on his drawing. It said, distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. And seven years later, that became the brand position of the Shanghai wow. Disney. So you never know where you are. I mean, some girl, for, again, it's about unplanned collaboration. So, so a Jungle Cruise skipper sent me an idea and she didn't think we were going to do it. I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant, we've got to do this. It was uh, Finding Dory was coming out. And uh, I think it was, uh, it was spring last year. We just created um, Speak Like a Whale there. And everybody went around speaking like that. Oh, I, can't, I can't speak like a whale. But for those of you who can, you do it a lot better than I am. It was just an idea that came from a frontline customer. That was brilliant. Absolutely. A lot of this is about being creative and, and staying positive and being playful. In this increasingly negative world, how do you do that every day? I think Picasso said, everybody's a child once. The tr struggle is how to stay as a think like a child as you grow up. If you ask people, there are two styles of thinking. And if you ask people, what are children really good at? They're going to say fun, laughing, burping, farting, honest, no fear. They ask a lot of questions. They ask why, 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 why. Those are all expansionist styles of thinking. Then you, if you ask what adults are really good at, people are going to say analyze, criticize, judgmentalize, prioritize, really good at the eyes. Um, that's reductive thinking. Both are required in an innovation process. You just have to be very clear at signaling we're in an expansive session today or in a reduction. So one thing you might do is pick a room like this and say, hey, this is going to be our expansionist room. And so every and give it a good name. I mean, so for you, instead of going for I don't know what the names of your meeting rooms are. Well, so, dude, nicely done. Yes. Wasn't my idea. All right. I worked at a company for thirty years. And we had meeting rooms fifty three fifty. Hmm. Could it be called the Death Star? Yeah. What? We have the Death Star. Where are you going today? I'm going to fifty three fifty. Where are you going today? I'm going to the Death Star. Yeah. I mean, so uh, words very powerful. We had a project called the Hispanic Market Penetration Challenge. Like, Ooh, do you want to work on that? No, not really. Project Farmers. Oh, what's that? Well, I can't tell you. Ooh. So, so there was a, a wonderful story. I met uh, a guy up in New York last year. I went up to see him and uh, I was sitting in reception and I was just chatting to this receptionist for about 20 minutes. Lovely girl, very empathetic, super helpful, super nice, the sort of person you want to steal and take away and work for you. I was upstairs and I was asking him, I said, uh, hey, your receptionist is remarkably nice. I said, I was chatting to her for 20 minutes. He goes, we don't have a receptionist. He said, thank God. Who the hell was I talking to for the last 20 minutes? He goes, I said, oh, well, no, you was Sarah. He goes, oh, that's our director of first impressions. Well, just by changing, shifting, right? Uh -huh. So um, if I ask you, that's I'm going to ask you, I need five things that I should put in a car wash. What should I put in? Put in a car wash? Um, soap, S uh, sponges, water, and uh, towels. And um, brushes. Brushes. There you go. But if I was to open an auto spa, what could I put in the sun? Jacuzzi. Uh, sauna, tanning bed. There you um, go. So you just went in 30 seconds from brushes, hose. You stayed in your river of thinking. Suddenly I just reframed the challenge and you went straight to a different place. So what's something a good storyteller or someone who's framing an idea, um, what's something they never do? Or something they never do? A good storyteller? Yeah. What they never do? Too many people are afraid to fail. And so they fail fast. They're not. They're, they're, so never. They never get it perfect first time out of the gate, and they share it. It's called fail. Share. Share early. Share often. Mm -hmm. And because then you get the input along the way, it makes it richer. There's a, a meeting in Pixar called a plusing meeting. They add on. They build. 
And so, uh, and it's just, and it's, and the owner doesn't have to take any of that input. Mm -hmm. That is genuinely good feedback because now everybody's free to give whatever feedback they want, good and bad. Mm -hmm. But it's up to the stakeholder to decide I want to take that or I don't want to take that. And that frees them up yeah. to really take the, the, the input back and to move forward at fail fast, fail often. Most people are so, I've got to get it right, I've got to get it right, I've got to get it right before they launch it, it's dead before it gets out of the window. Gotcha. So Disney has super fans, if you will. There are people who live, breathe, and die yes, Disney. think. How does one create such a cult-like following? How does one create the super fan? One word, storytelling. 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 Yeah, bring them in. Look at it. I mean, what was your first film? Uh, the, the Little Mermaid. There you go. Where were you? Uh, probably New Jersey. Okay. Uh, who was sitting next to you? Parents. Okay, see, everybody remembers where they were when you saw your first Disney. Mine was The Jungle Book, mm -hmm. a few decades earlier, I might add. But I remember being scared, that the snakes scared the living crap out of me. But I remember who's sitting either side of me. And it was that story that, that brought you all the way through. I think storytelling, above all, and so when you go into the parks, you're immersed in a story. Mm -hmm. um, you become part of the story. Yeah, yeah. And I think that brands, however, that uh, in the future, however, I think brands are going to have to engage much more with their consumers. I think uh, everybody's frightened to crowdsource. And why are they frightened to crowdsource? Well, they'll tell you, oh, it's intellectual property rights. No, it's not. You're scared that somebody might have a better idea than you and you might be out of a job. Why companies don't crowdsource right now? A restaurant chain. Just go out and crowdsource TGI Fridays. Hey, we need a new item on our menu to, uh, for that's a patriotic dish to celebrate summer. We need it by Memorial Day. What do you think? It's the 1990 rule. 1% 1 will actually submit recipes. 9% will like or comment. And 90% will lurk, as I call it. And they'll just kind of look. But suddenly, everybody will know, know there's a new recipe on their menu. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if, if 500,000 people said, choose that one, guess what? Your number one selling item on your menu is going to be. You could even predict it. This is not rocket science. Designs for t-shirts, crowdsource them. Think about, you know, you can save costs on labor. And so people are frightened. But uh, I think brands that continue to engage their consumers much more in the actual development of their products and services will be the most successful. Those who continue with a, what I call a product-centric approach, we build it, they will come. Macy's, not so sure. I mean, brands that we've grown, Blockbusters, gone. Kodak, gone. Who's next? There's some huge ones that we've all grown up with that we think are unassailable. In the next decade, you're going to see 30% of them disappear because they refused to innovate. Mm -hmm. The mall. Yeah. So that basically wraps up all the questions I had. Is there anything I didn't ask that you felt you'd want to share? I've started my own business. Have you? you need, yes. I'm America's youngest company. I'm uh, five weeks old now. Oh, wow. And so What's its name? Idea and Innovate. Idea and uh, ideate and innovate ideate. Using, using number eight. And so I do workshops to help people uh, think more creatively, think more differently. I do keynotes. Mm -hmm. I'll actually run ideation sessions, and we have fun, but fun with purpose. Uh, the ideas are embedded in consumer insight, and that's what so many people uh, need to move from a product-centric approach to a consumer-centric approach. And it's not as hard as you think it is. It is actually just about getting out and spending time with your consumers. Um, there is big data and big data will continue to evolve and be more and more important in terms of influence, but just getting out and being with your consumers can be very insightful. Absolutely. And, and where would people go if they wanted to find information on this? They would find me on Twitter. Uh, they would find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they would find me on Facebook. Um, is that at Duncan Wardle? Yes. Yeah. There we go. Well, thank you so much for thank being on much. Shareworthy. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope to have you back again soon. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
That's all the shareworthy knowledge for now. Stay tuned for future episodes and remember to always champion the creators. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.